Good morning again. I, I should have mentioned about uh, Kendra that uh, Andrew also thinks highly of her. So, slam dunk. We're uh, taking a, a break from our uh, studies through the book of Romans this week. And uh, that, of course, is on the occasion of uh, Adam Swanson being installed as a deacon today. Uh, just raises the, the whole question about um, what is a deacon? What's their duty? What are their qualifications? Why is it a thing in the New Testament church? Why is it important? And so uh, we're going to look at this passage that that Isaac read earlier, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to reread it. Isaac already read it. But uh, in that passage, we, we have the, um, the historical account from Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, of the, um, the, the first deacons in the church um, being raised up and, and put to work. So... Uh, Let's look at that passage together. The, what we're going to notice here are five main lessons, five things. And the first thing in terms of the office of deacon here from Acts chapter 6 is its original setting. It's, its original setting, and that's in verses 1 and 2. So let's notice those verses again. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, the disciples there is simply another word for Christians. It doesn't mean the original 12 disciples. It means believers. A believer is a Christian, is a disciple. A disciple means that we're, we're learners of Christ, we're followers of Christ. That's what a Christian is. That's what a believer is. And it turns out, that the disciples were increasing in number. In other words, there were many people being converted, being saved and coming to the Lord, and therefore the church was growing. But in a fallen world, blessings are often accompanied by trials. And that was the case in the early church as well. So even as the disciples were increasing in number, we go on to read that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and, and the Hebrews were Hebrew-speaking Jews. The Hellenists were Jews who had dispersed out of, out of Jerusalem, and they lived in um, Gentile lands, and so they, they spoke the common language of the Gentiles at the time, uh, Greek, and then they had relocated back to Jerusalem, but they kept their, their language. And then the Hebrews were basically native uh, Jerusalem-born Jews. So here's a bunch of Jews. Some of them spoke Greek, some of them spoke Hebrew. And the daily distribution here was the daily distribution of, of bread, food. And uh, I'd like to read this piece for you from Craig Keener in the IVP Bible Background Commentary. It's a really great resource. 
but he, he does a really good job of painting the picture here of the original setting. He wrote, the Bible mandated caring for widows who had no other means of support if they had no family nearby. Judaism took this responsibility seriously in contrast to Gentile cultures. But because it was considered virtuous to be buried in the land of Israel, many foreign Jews would come to spend their last days there, then die and leave widows. Thus, a disproportionate number of foreign Jewish widows lived in Jerusalem, which did not have enough foreign Jewish synagogues for their distributors of charity to supply all the widows adequately. This urban and social problem of Jerusalem spilled over into the church. So that's what's going on there in verse 1. So what was the apostle's solution? What were they going to do about this uh, emerging problem in the early church? Verse 2. And the 12, so those are the apostles, uh, the original 12 minus Judas plus Matthias. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's pretty strong language. So here's this need and the uh, first temptation of the apostles like, like any Christian leader the, the, the first temptation is, there's a need, I'm going to go take care of that. There's a problem in the dis distribution of bread, the daily distribution to the widows, I'm going to handle that. Well, the problem with that is that if the apostles took care of the daily distribution to the widows, that means there's going to be something that will be neglected. And that something is the word of God. That's why it's not right for them to um, uh, leave the, the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. It's not that they, they were beneath it. Remember in John chapter 13, we read the story of Jesus getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of all the disciples and he told them that in doing that, he set them an example. Um, all Christians are servants. All Christian leaders are servants. There is nothing that is beneath any Christian or any Christian leader to do in terms of serving. So it's not that they were uh, or um, taking care of the Daily distribution was beneath the apostles. It was simply a matter of priorities. It meant they'd have to give up uh, to neglect the thing that God had called them to. Uh, They're God-given priorities. So that's the original setting. And next, we go on to see in the passage its purpose, the purpose of the office of deacon. So we'll overlap here in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So that gives you a hint about its purpose. Um, the, the purpose uh, 
of deacons is to enable the preaching of the word of God, basically. And then moving on to verse 3, actually before we go on to verse 3, the word to serve there in verse 2 is the word from which we get the word deacon. The word deacon in English is just a transliteration uh, of the word uh, diakoneo, which is the verb form of the word deacon in Greek. So the word deacon means a servant. To serve means to deacon. And uh, that's what these men were being called to do. And it's important not just so that this particular ministry will carry on. If you think about it, the reason why deacons are important is because service is important to Christians. Having deacons in the church ensures that the church will go on serving. Just as it was important for the apostles not to be pulled away from their priority, which was preaching, imagine what a sterile, headstrong place the church would be if it was just about preaching. It would just be a lecture hall. It would just be a theology center. It would be like going to take a class. You come in, leave, There's no sharing of life together. There's no fellowship. There's no communion. But the church is the pillar and support of the truth, for sure. That's why preaching is important. But it's also the body of Christ. And we're members together in the body of Christ. And as such, we're, we're called to love each other, not just in word and thought, but in deed. We're supposed to be concerned for one another, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens. And that's all well and good. But then if we're just all doing our thing and there's no leadership and there's no direction, then it's not as effective. And that's why we have leader servants Deacons. And this represents Christ because Christ said about himself, he said, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so deacons in the church ensure that this aspect of Jesus Christ, the servant, is maintained as a witness in the church until Jesus comes again. It's very, very important. All right, now on to verses three and four. Therefore, brothers, this is again the instruction from the 12, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
So brothers is a synonym for disciples in verse 1. Believers are Christians, are disciples, are brothers, brethren. And you'll notice that the job, the task of identifying deacons is a cooperative effort. It's a cooperative effort between the leaders and the brethren. The, the apostles could have just said, hey, we've identified these seven men. They're going to be the deacons. But instead, they actually enlisted the help um, of the brethren in that process. And then the apostles themselves weren't removed from the process because they were going to lay hands on the men, which signify their, their approval of them. And so there's, there's qualifications and there's purpose. We'll talk more about the qualifications. But for now, notice um, again, what the purpose is, they, the purpose of the office is to serve and it is to enable the proclamation, the teaching of the word and prayer among the, the leaders. So that's its main purpose. And if you think about it, then deacons are enablers. In our cu culture, we know that if we... Um, continue to enable somebody to be in a bad lifestyle and to continue in bad habits, that's a bad thing, to be that kind of enabler. But deacons are a good kind of enabler. They enable the word of God and prayer to continue among the um, spiritual leaders in the Christian community. In our church constitution, we're, we're, we're trying to put into writing what we understand from the scriptures about how to do church. Uh, we, we say this about the, the purpose of the office of deacon. The office of deacon was ordained by the apostles to enable the ministers of the word to concentrate on the specific functions of their office, namely preaching, teaching, counseling, and prayer. Deacons are primarily responsible to administer the benevolent and business affairs of the church. And so um, the uh, outward material apparatus of the church has grown since tables in, in the first century. There's, there's a building. There are grounds. Do we have to have a building to be a church? No. But it sure facilitates being a church. It's a lot cooler in here than it is outside, I promise you that. Um, and the whole point is all of these things require care and, and service, and it's all about providing the context for the Word of God, for worshiping the God of the Bible. Somebody needs to be in charge of that, and God has said those people who are in charge of that apparatus of the church. They're the deacons. All right, now let's talk about its qualifications. In other words, the qualifications of the office of, of elder. I've touched on it a little bit already. Notice in verse 3, seven men. Why did they pick seven men? 
I don't know. Um, the Holy Spirit must have given wisdom to the apostles, indicating that that was the right number for that particular occasion. But they were supposed to, the brethren were supposed to pick out or select seven men of good reputation. So they need to be well thought of. They need to have um, such a walk that they command people's consciences a good reputation and full of the spirit and of wisdom. And then the apostles add, whom we will appoint to this duty. So again, this cooperative uh, effort, the brethren pick or select and the apostles appoint. And so these these deacons have the consciences of the brethren at large as well as the leadership in the church. And by God's grace, there were seven men among them who met these qualifications. So uh, let's skip down to verse 5 now. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Stephen is going to end up being the, the star of the show, so to speak, the prominent character, beginning in chapter 6 and verse 8, um, on into chapter 8 of Acts, chapter 8 and verse 4. He ends up being the first Christian martyr. And then in addition to Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, there's Philip. And Philip is going to come on to the center stage in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 40. And it turns out that both Stephen and Philip were gifted preachers. That's not a requirement for deacon, but uh, it's something that does happen. I mean, the Lord gifts deacons sometimes to be gifted preachers. That's why Adam's going to be preaching next Sunday. Thank you, brother. You knew that something had to come. So again, thinking about the, this general qualification, um, full, of, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, a good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Paul gives more detailed qualifications of that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let, let's look there. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In verses 1 through 7, Paul lists the qualifications for the office of elder or overseer. And then in verses 8 through um, 13, 12, he lists the qualifications for the office of, of deacon. So Paul wrote, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And, and uh, just as a matter of encouragement, um, Adam, your brothers and sisters here at the church, we believe that this describes you and your family. And we voted unanimously uh, to, to that effect. So we thank God for that. Um, there is one other thing about the qualification of deacons that I'd like to bring up that's really unpopular. Uh, very, very politically incorrect. In fact, maybe I'll lose my security clearance over it. I'm not sure. Um, but it just bears repeating. We, we don't uh, beat this drum or make a huge deal over it, but it's, it is a reality. And that is that um, when it comes to the office of elder, and the office of deacon in the church. Those offices are restricted to men. In uh, both the qualifications for the um, office of elder, for example, and the office of deacon, um, it says that uh, he must be the husband of one wife, uh, in verse 4 of 1 Timothy 3, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Similar thing in the um, qualifications for deacon. Um, deacons, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, and uh, their wives likewise must be dignified. There, there's, there's no qualifications the other way around. It, it doesn't say, well, let, let an elder be the wife of one husband. And, and that doesn't even make sense because according to God's structure for the home, the home is not a two-headed monstrosity. The home has the one head, Jesus, and then under Jesus, there's the husband, who's the head of the wife. And so if um, wives are supposed to be submissive to their husbands at home, it doesn't make sense then that these qualifications about a man managing his own household well would apply to a wife. And there's other considerations. The, the text of Scripture makes it plain that these enduring offices in the church, elder and deacon, are restricted to men. That doesn't mean that women are not leaders in the church. Our church could not function without women uh, stepping up and doing the things that they do in this church. It doesn't mean that women are not servants. So, so deacons generically, like Phoebe and some other women that Paul's going to mention in Romans chapter 16. But when it comes to the office, that's restricted to, to men. 
Again, thinking of our church constitution. Men and women are equally image bearers of God and children of God. We acknowledge and encourage the valuable gifts and contributions of women in the life and ministry of the church. However, reflecting the diversity of roles within the Godhead, and remember that eternally there has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 that the Son, who's equally God with the Father, the Son willingly submits to the authority of his Father. There's diversity within the Godhead, diversity of roles within the Godhead, even though there's equality uh, among the persons of the Godhead in terms of their deity. And God himself is the perfect model for humanity. Diver uh, there's equality in terms of our being image bearers of God and children of God, but there's diversity in terms of roles. So reflecting the diversity of roles within the Godhead, men and women have different roles in the home and in the church. Therefore, in obedience to the teaching of Scripture, church officers, elders and deacons, shall be men. That's, that's our church constitution. So it's fitting to mention that on an occasion like that. You uh, probably won't hear that again for, uh, for a while, but there you go. So it's qualifications. In the fourth place, regarding the office of deacon, Is that for? It's enduring identity as a church office. It's an enduring identity as a church office. In other words, how do we know that what we're reading about in Acts chapter 6 wasn't just a momentary thing to fulfill a temporary need? Why are we looking at Acts chapter 6 and then extrapolating to 2,000 years or so into the future to now in 21st century America. Well, there's a couple of clues in the text itself. Um, the, the fact that the, the apostles laid hands on these men and set them apart by doing that to this, to this task and if you think about it, is there anything new under the sun? Doesn't it stand to reason if in the early church, as the gospel first begins to spread, and as it begins to grow and uh, in, encompass all of the nations of the earth, and so there, there begin to emerge these challenges relative to the uh, material and, and earthly affairs of the church, doesn't it stand to reason that if that was taking place 2,000 years ago, it would be taking place today? And doesn't it stand to reason that if there required leadership over those affairs 2,000 years ago, that leadership over those material and earthly affairs of the church would be useful today? And of course, but there's a couple of other clues in the New Testament that 
indicate that the office of deacon is an, in, um, an enduring office, an actual office within the church. Look in Philippians chapter 1 with me. Philippians chapter 1, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy, by the way, it's interesting to think, isn't it, that in Acts chapter 6, when all that is happening, Paul at that time was Saul of Tarsus. And I mentioned Stephen, one of the first deacons, who would go on to be the first Christian martyr. I mean, Jesus was, but Stephen went on to become the first Christian martyr and who was standing on the sidelines guarding the coats and approving of the murder of the first Christian martyr, Stephen? Saul of Tarsus, the author of this letter, Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. All Christians are servants. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, so that's his way of referring to the whole church. Doesn't call them church members per se. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Saints are not a um, special caste of Christians like we're aware of in Roman Catholicism. So you live your life as a Roman Catholic and you die and you do some great thing and then the Pope at some point after your death, canonizes you and makes you a saint. Well, that's not the worst thing about the Roman Catholic faith, but um, that's not consistent with the teaching of the Bible. According to the Bible, all believers are saints. And you think to yourself, I don't feel like a saint. Well, that's an evidence that you are a saint, because saints are humble. Saints realize their need of salvation and God's grace. But saints are saints. In other words, we're holy ones because God has uh, sealed our salvation with the Holy Spirit within us. God is working in us slowly but surely over time, rounding off the rough edges, making us more and more like Jesus, making us more and more like him, making us more and more holy. We are saints. And it's not that we came up with that. God came up with that. So Paul writes to all the members in the church in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, and with the overseers, the elders, and deacons. So that's interesting. Paul and Timothy see the believers in Philippi, and it's a church. And re remember, in the first century, uh, when Paul writes a letter to believers, they're not just off somewhere on their own. He assumes they're part of local churches. And so Paul and Timothy see believers in three terms. There's all the saints, 
And then among that group, there are the elders and the deacons. So this is a hint that the office of deacon is an enduring office in the church. And by the way, when did Paul write this? This was some 30 years after the events of Acts chapter 6. So you have Acts chapter 6 taking place. You have the spread of the gospel. You have the growth of the church and uh, the, the, the maturing of the office of deacon. And so you have Paul and Timothy referring to believers in these terms in Philippians 1.1. And then in the passage where we were a few minutes ago, 1 Timothy 3 again, notice a couple of things in 1 Timothy 3. Um, so regarding the office of elder, notice Paul's language. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. And that's all one word there, but the, the idea is if anyone aspires to the overseership. And then he goes on to list qualifications. That means that not everyone is an overseer or an elder. Elder and overseer refer to the same office, the office of pastor. That's another study. But because there are qualifications then that implies an office, a particular defined position of service within the church. And it, the same thing is true with deacons because in verse 8, Paul says, deacons likewise. Likewise in the sense that there's this office, there's this position of service within the church with qualifications attached to it. So deacons likewise must, and, and then he gives the, the qualifications. And then notice what ends up, what uh, Paul ends up writing in verse 15. In fact, verses 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy 3. I hope to come to you soon, Paul's writing to Timothy, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Just like in Acts chapter 6, there was an immediate need that Timothy was facing, and that need was how to recognize qualified men to be elders and deacons in the church. But then Paul gives this universal language. Timothy, this instruction I'm giving you, I, I wish I could, could have given it to you in person, but here it is in writing. And this instruction is not just for you. It's for the church throughout the church age. Because it has to do with how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, which will be true about the church until Jesus comes again. Amen. And so, from these passages, the, the Bible teaches us that the office of elder and deacon are enduring offices in the local church. All right, and then fifthly and finally, it's 
blessings. So the office of deacon, it's blessings. Back to Acts chapter 6. It's really encouraging how Luke wraps up this narrative. And the word of God continued to increase. It was the increase of the word of God that led to the problem in the first place. The church was growing. People were being added to it. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And by the way, that's what our goal is as a church. Our goal is the glory of God as the number of disciples multiply. We're, we're not looking for momentary decisions. Uh, that's why you'll notice, I trust, that we don't employ a whole lot of emotional manipulation to, to try to get you to do something at the end of the service or, or on the moment. Emotions are momentary. Emotions are good. We, we should worship the Lord with joy and with exuberance. We should express our love for God, but emotions in and of themselves are not the objective. Anything temporary is not the objective. The objective is disciples, converts, followers of Jesus, learners of Jesus. And that's what was happening. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And that's why doing church right matters. We're not saying that the way we do things is it. We're right and everybody else is wrong. We're not saying that at all. Even within the instructions that the Bible gives about how to do church, there's latitude, there's freedom, there's liberty, there's, there's room for judgment and and wisdom, but still the Bible does instruct us on how one ought to behave in the household of God. The Bible tells us about offices in the church. And in addition to the office of elder and deacon, there aren't others. That's why we don't have others. But when there's a conscientious, sincere effort to obey Jesus' word in behaving ourselves as the local church, then we can expect the blessing of King Jesus on the ministry of the word of God. And when all of that happens, the obedience of God's people, the blessing of God in the ministry of the word and the, the mutual ministry of the saints then often what happens in the church is what happened in the early church. The word of God increases. The number of the disciples multiplies greatly. That's why it's important. And all to the end, that the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is exalted. Let's close our study this morning in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our great high priest, for our prophet, for our king. We thank you 
for all that Jesus has done to purchase our redemption. And we thank you for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know, Lord, that so many people in our culture say, oh, I, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. Would you spare us from that kind of mentality? Would you help us to love what Jesus loves? Would you help us to lay down our lives for that for which Jesus laid down his life? Would you help us to consider the things that occur in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be very, very important? Lord, would you please increase the word of God? Would you multiply the number of disciples in our midst? Would you save sinners by your grace through faith in Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.